Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How's it going? I'm exhausted this week. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I feel like I'm on the pendulum swing where I was really exhausted this whole past weekend. And now I'm starting to feel like good and gaining my energy levels back. Like, you know, in the sim game when you go to sleep and like your energy level goes. (laughs) But I love that sound effect. That's great. (laughs) That's me. We got some great stuff to talk about this week. I do have to preface there is no nerd alert. I am sorry, but... I was Don't moving this weekend. I was moving homes and I could not fit in any research. We've, we've both had a lot going on this week. We've been yeah. making big moves with the league, talking about what the next workshop is going to be. We've been starting to coordinate more with Trey, which we need to follow up again more, by the way. Yes, true. <laughs> You've been moving across the city. I started a freaking master's program in business. It's a lot of crazy stuff all at once. So I think it's okay. I think everybody will forgive not having a nerd alert this one week. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think it's going to be fine. Thanks we did find really great articles this week. And when I say we, I would like to say a giant flipping thank you to our new favorite person, Steph Clark, who has hopped on and is helping us. And if you yes. don't know Steph... She's a wonderful human, Steph Clark with an E.com. She does workshops. She like talks about design. She has a really awesome podcast of her own where she summarizes interesting and useful business books. For sure. I feel like she is fitting into our little league clan so well so far. I'm really excited to talk about all these links that she found for all of us here today, starting with our first one. Which is which blew my mind when I saw a tweet about it earlier this week. And then I saw a whole article, which is very exciting. Mm. And our article is called Fontimon is a playable <laughs> Minnesota themed Pokemon parody somehow crammed into a font. This blew my mind. When I first looked at this, I was like, I legitimately don't understand what is happening. What am I looking at here? It's it's crazy. It's super nerdy. It takes like a trifecta of like type nerd, game nerd, and like coding nerd and mashes them all into one end product. And that is Fontimon. So I'm I'm assuming because I I can't tell you how to create a font in a game in a font, is that they like hacked the code that is used for fonts and they managed to stuff a game into it. And so some of the things that you do with fonts that require code are actually interactive pieces with this game. It's just so crazy. I mean, even the screenshots of how they prepped this in the article and the web page for the font game thing, I'm just like, what the heck am I looking at here? There's like all these connected nodes I mean, I also don't really know Pokemon or this game that they're referring to. So that's kind of new territory for me. Apparently, though, if you are interested, you can play it and it's as simple as typing. So you can play it in the game's web page or in a word processor or an image editor once you download this font. Like, that's such a crazy idea. Like, I, it's not 
I'm, I'm, it makes sense to my brain to like visit a web page where you are playing a game, but the fact that you can download the whole game and play it in Microsoft Word by just typing is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lot to wrap your head around, but it's like very like fun news. I don't know. I loved hearing about it and thinking about someone taking advantage of OpenType, the flexible font format, and using like some of the things that the code does in open type to make game logic out of it. It takes totally two things I would never think could combine and truly combine them into one thing. And I think this is open source, right? I believe so. It's on GitHub. I yeah, I'm a little I'm a little fuzzy on whether what is on GitHub is the game slash font or if it's something related to it. It's a, it's a little unclear from also my browser just like like my whole computer starts freaking out as soon as I like you go to this web page to play it and you just start typing letters and it slowly progresses into the game and at a certain point my computer's like nah I'm not really I'm not doing this anymore I haven't actually played the game but as our listeners can tell I feel like we're both speaking slowly because we're like trying to unravel <laughs> like the logic behind this game and we're like searching for clues on the web page I'm looking at the github page and I'm like yeah so it works with open type <laughs> and I'm still like there are so many technical details that if you are interested in games if you're interested in the code behind games if you're interested in font software go for Go check this out. My gosh. Yeah, maybe somebody can download it and explain to us what the heck is going on and how this possibly works because Oh my gosh. I'm like seeing would... things change and I'm just like, this is this is blowing my mind. I'd love a YouTube tutorial on how to play Font. Mm, yeah, that's a great call. <laughs> Oliver, get on it. I think actually he sent us a link this week that we didn't have a chance to include. So we might have to include that this this next week. Well, good stuff. Even if you only partially understand what's going on with Fontimon, still very exciting innovations happening in the type world that I think our listeners will enjoy. Just neat that people are pushing the boundaries. Like that's always such an such an interesting artistic endeavor, combining tech You'll love and to art. See it. You'll love to see it. All right. Our next one. Uh, really fun one from a corner of the internet that I don't typically explore. It's a blog called Hodinky. And I think it's a blog all about watches and watchmakers. Mm -hmm. But today we're talking about the case for better watch typography. And the article explains kind of the history of typography in watches and, you know, where we stand today with our modern watches and how typography is connected to the craftsmanship of nice watches. And the branding too, right? Like that's that's often yeah. an overlooked piece of how how a watch feels right is the typography that's on the face yeah i love that they talk about how you know these watches are so expensive they're thousands of dollars if we're really talking about these luxury watches it would make sense for these luxury companies to get custom watch typefaces for their expensive watches yet most of the fonts that are used in luxury timepieces use pretty standard uh, run-of-the-mill fonts, whether that's American Typewriter and Arial, which is apparently used on Patek Philippe watches, which I know are like five-figure watches. Mm -hmm. Rolex uses a modified version of Germain Fort's logo. And one of the companies actually uses a stretched version of Times Roman on their watches. That's wild, a stretched version. 
Crazy, crazy. And so there are a few brands that are starting to break out into the custom lettering scene. They show some really beautiful watch faces. One Hermes watch that hired Philippe Appelois. I know he's a really great French graphic designer that I'm a big fan of, and he designed custom numerals for their watch face. And I think it's just really beautiful and elegant. And you do start seeing the difference between when the typefaces are really considered versus just your standard uh, run-of-the-mill stock typography. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the visuals that are included in this article. I think that's useful, especially because I'm not much in the you know $65,000 watch world, believe it or not. So... One day. It is really fascinating. And and it's just, it's also just shocking. I, this is, this is my designer bias coming through, but it is shocking that custom typefaces historically are not the standard for this kind of thing. You think it would be. It does talk about for a long time though, people really did consider the lettering on the watch faces, but in the 80s, things switched over once digital typography became widely available to people in the fashion industry. There was just less reason for them to craft the specific typeface. Although it does give a small history, including the history of when bespoke lettering became more rare in the watch industry. It talks about a certain type of numerals called numerals, I believe it's French, that became really popular in the clock world. And even when I saw them, they were like, oh yeah, these are the beautiful numerals. Sometimes you see them on a dress plates that kind of have bold flourishes, but are still legible. And I definitely want to look into that a little bit more because that's fascinating. I do appreciate that that wasn't just a reference. It was a link to, to find out more yes. information about what those are. So yeah. And they interviewed Jonathan Hoffler in here, which I think is interesting to get like that kind of industry perspective. And it's not just like about watch lovers, but actually like the people that are serving fonts as well and what their opinions are. Yeah, this was a great find. This was one Steph was really excited about and she kind of told me about ahead of time. And I was like, that is a cool find. I love it. I was obsessed. And there's like a really great illustration too at the top that they have of just funny little characters making typography. <laughs> for you know, that's true. I kind of breezed over the illustrations, but they're very cute and weird. And I like yeah. them. Yeah. So definitely something I want to share with uh, people, a lot of watch lovers. I'm a watch lover too. So I love this kind of stuff. I was, when I went to Switzerland on my European travels, I was mm -hmm. so close to paying a ridiculous amount of money to do a workshop where they teach you how to make your own Swiss watch. And I was like, that is so cool. I can't afford it, but I want to do it. You know what I mean? I love that. I love that so much. You would have great typography in your watch too. I'd try. I'd try. No doubt. Our next article is quite timely and interesting. And I had no idea that it was happening, even though it's typography related. It's titled, What Did Garamond Do to Deserve a DC Court's Wrath? And this talks about how the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit has, I think, discouraged the use of Garamond and are only accepting briefs if they're typeset in 14 point serif fonts such as Century or Times New Roman. <laughs> and apparently people that follow the U.S. court, probably like lawyers and people in that world, really came out with their opinions on Twitter. And I didn't know Garamond was so just polarizing for people. Yeah, I thought Garamond was pretty safe. Like, who yeah. hates Garamond? But apparently a bunch of people hate Garamond. You know what? It's a thing that I didn't know about Garamond until I was, you know, maybe in design school. I never really 
looked at Garamond before then. Because when we were in high school, all of our essays had to be 12 point times New Roman or something. But Garamond has a smaller X height. And therefore, it takes more words to fill a page with Garamond than it does with Times New Roman. So I think these briefs that have a restraint with page limits or word limits, Garamond actually makes a difference in how much you can fit per page or not. And so that's why people that care about law briefs maybe care about it. Yes, that definitely makes sense. And I guess I'm I'm also personally kind of encountering this a little bit with trying to like there's, there's, remember when we talked about APA style, right? Like there's mm-hmm. only certain fonts you can use at certain sizes and with certain spacing. Mm-hmm. And I get mm-hmm. that it's for the consistency so that there's, you know, a reasonable baseline of how long is this thing, right? Yeah. It's like when we talked about monospace fonts, we talked about Courier, that one page of Courier is one minute in a scene in a film. Right. So I think there's type nerds that are like, well, yeah, obviously 12 point Garamond's going to be seen smaller than 12 point times Roman, but to the lay person, they don't want to have to be fussy over those sort of exceptions. Also, people are saying that Garamond's harder to read. But I think that has to do with it being less chunky than Times Roman and having a smaller X site, I'm assuming. I think that also must have to do with the bias of looking at one particular font 92% of the time, and then you see another font, of course, any other font is going to be harder to read to you. Totally. And I think people that work in a court don't necessarily know how to articulate that because they don't think about that day to day. But I think that's something that we've certainly explored is fonts that are most readable to your eye are fonts that you see the most. So exactly, if you're seeing Times New Roman the most, it will be a little bit slower processing to read a whole brief in Garamond. Right. And if if anybody is interested, I found it interesting at the, the very last sentence of this article links to another article that they did about putting two spaces after a period and why you should never, ever do that. I didn't know that was a bad thing until I went to college because I think everyone in my public school district learned to do two spaces after a period because all, all my teachers were probably boomers. So they learned how to type <laughs> on typewriters. So all of their spaces had to be double because if you're in typewriter, you do double space. So it like differentiates your sentences better. But then I got to college and my typography teacher was like, never do a double space. <laughs> I think Correct. somehow I learned that in high school because I remember correcting my teachers and then being Ooh. really annoyed at me about that. But I, <laughs> I guess I was a type nerd from a much earlier age than, than I remember. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. I mean, I typeset the school yearbook. I Who knows how many double spaces are after those periods. <laughs> Scary, man. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. 
And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Next yeah. up, we found... Type-inspired interfaces. Hey, this is a great blog, 24 Ways. This is like a blog that I followed 15 years ago because they were the leading edge of web design. And I love wow, that they're I, still around. I didn't know them. Also, I noticed this article was published in 2009, yet yeah. I really do feel like it is still relevant today, which I love. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you noticed that because I agree. And, and there's a hint here of like the first subtitle is perfecting web 2.0 which is like not a term that anybody uses anymore wow i didn't catch on to that like you can kind of tell a little bit too by the style i mean there's a variety of styles in here and i don't mean the style of the blog but like the first example in perfecting web 2.0 is a very web 2.0 style like we we all used to design that way. That was the mm -hmm. trend. Uh, soft gloss around everything, like lots of super rounded corners and like bubbly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in any case, it's interesting because they're comparing typefaces to other design elements, right? Yes. Yeah. And this is kind of a thing that I have taught in even some of the league design courses is that we all kind of learn grid systems in art school, right? Here's a grid system. You should try using it and you might use it forever. A lot of people love grid systems. And my take on that has always been that the reason behind a grid system, why a grid system is a useful tool is because it gives you something to connect all of the pieces together invisibly. And this mm -hmm. does a pretty good job in a few places in this article of being like, okay, if the L on your text is 12 pixels big and you want a decorative bar, make that some number that is relative to something else in the design. So 12 pixels for the L, 24 pixels for the headline line, you know, one pixel mm -hmm. serif, one pixel line in a different spot. Basically just like finding some connection with the numbers that you're choosing so that they're related. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a lot of small details in here that explain design decisions that you're like, oh, that looks good, but like I can't tell you why. And it's like, okay, let's let's break this apart and examine how to find pieces in your design and your typography that are simpatico and have that affinity. And maybe not the most obvious ways. I think a really interesting way they did it was with showing Dido serifs, so that really high contrast black and white high contrast letter forms and matching it with really stark lines that are thick and thin and being like, look at your letter forms. That's what you've got there. How can you adapt that in a different context? And I think that's awesome. Big fan. Very cool. Nice find. Good find. Dan Mall, old fan fave. Plus, uh, you know, if you kind of start browsing around, they have a lot of new articles that are wildly interesting and useful too. I love it. I'm definitely going to poke around here. I felt like this was super digestible. Love the visuals. Keep on supporting. Our final article 
is from Typography Guru, so you know it's going to be nerdy and <laughs> thorough, and it is both of those things. <laughs> and the title of it is, Should We Standardize the Naming of Font Weights? And this is pretty interesting. The topic often discussed, but talking about how, depending on what font you have, the type designers will name their weights of the font in different names that aren't consistent from one font to the next. So they've created this method called the TYMS method, I believe it, it's named the primary stem thickness. They de they've developed this method that allows you to calculate whether your weight of your font is a hairline, is book, is medium, is black by using the cap height of your font and relating that to the width of your thick stems in your font. And therefore, you can kind of come to the conclusion of, is this a bold? Is this a medium? Is this a book? Without just using your eye and having a mathematical reasoning behind it. Yeah. So basically, this is a system to have some naming based on proportions, right? Yeah which yes. proportions are relative. So they should work in a variety of fonts as opposed to absolute numbers saying like it needs to be exactly, you know, 20 pixels on this screen. Like that's not how fonts can be measured because fonts are variable and vector. Yeah, and I agree that the, the naming system here is a little confusing. It sounds like TYMS is the research lab who looked into all of this, but they're... Their system is the primary stem thickness system. Thank you. And their formula is called the TW formula. You know, I mean, hearing us talk about this, this is absolutely an article. If you're if you're interested in type design and getting deep into the details of designing for families and stuff, even like whether you're doing that or just interested in it, this is an article you gotta read because this is like a piece of a textbook kind of writing. Yeah, it's very scientific. There are some great examples, though. They even did a small sketch of what happens if you sketch up your typeface and want to therefore calculate where that sketch could live in the weight. So I think it's super actionable if you are drawing out some letter forms and are like, hey, is this a me? Because I designed a font, Vreeland, and I don't even know what that would be considered. It could be a book. It could be a medium could be regular it could be a lot of these and obviously if you only have two weights to your font it's like you have a roman you have a bold you don't have like a book and then a black i mean you could right. but typically you know you want to simplify that if you're doing a limited amount of weights fun fact i didn't know that after you get beyond black it's extra black ultra black fat and then fatness fatness is just a weight that's the fattest anything could possibly be I think I missed that detail, but that makes sense. There's some there's some font that I've come across multiple times that I was like, that's such a weird name. Why do you call it that? I, never I had knew. no idea. I know you're doing a lot more with variable fonts than I am. So I was like, maybe you've come across that when you're looking at your little widgets. I mean, also what's interesting is like if you're depending solely on the the width and weight axes in a variable font. Like the future might be no discrete naming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. There's also an interesting comment below of someone saying, 
hey, like great job, well reasoned, well written. I love the like the small quirks of Univers like numeral system and like future <laughs> because you know some type designers also build it into their font that you know like I I think I've mentioned this before at J- JKR we have our custom font and one weight is Jones, one weight is Knowles, one weight is Richie, and that's because. Our logo is based off of the actual body weights of the three founding members because Jones was thinner, Knowles was medium, and Richie was larger. But, <laughs> you know, I think type designers, go at your own discretion. If you want to have fun with it, have fun with it. But I think this is super helpful for a lot of people out there. And if this does intrigue you and doesn't blow your brain up, there's a link at the very end saying more details. It's not even a link. You can't click on it. I don't know why, but there's text saying more details go to this website. And I looked at the website and I swear it is this article times five. Like, Oh, that's really going to break my brain then. It's Yeah, it's like so much more examples and more description. And it's Graphs. just wild. Fascinating. I love it. Yeah, very, very cool. Nice little roundup we got this week. Yeah, I love that there was some design. There was how design affects other industries. There's some topical news, some old stuff, and then some like deep cuts. Oh, yeah. Nice little variety we got for everyone this week. So thanks, as always, for joining us. I hope everybody enjoyed our short little podcast this week. We'll be back next week with something fun to add to the link mix. And in the meantime, you know, everybody... Stay awesome. Do 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 do